Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you, you learned of Christ or you accepted Christ in the Western Hemisphere? Let me just see. Some of you are like, it's been a while since I was in school. Where's the Western Hemisphere? Like North America, Central America, South America. And let me just see that again. And, and how many of us, what about if we added on to that Europe? You, you, maybe it was anybody here, you learned of Christ or found Christ in Europe. You're a few, there's a few here, at least one I see, one hand there. And if that's us, which is the vast majority of our church that learned of Christ, accepted Christ in North America or in, in Central America and South America, the Western Hemisphere or in Europe, the passage that we're going to be studying this morning is the genesis of how the gospel came to you. How the gospel came to your family. Without the events of Acts chapter number 16, history would have been very different. Very likely the history of our nation, of America. Now, America wasn't founded for many, many, many centuries, more than a millennium, more than a thousand years later after Acts 16. But the history of America would have been likely very, very different. And your eternal family history, if you will, where your family will spend eternity could have been very different if not for the events that we're going to look at in Acts in chapter number 16. We, we sang a song together last Sunday during our missions conference, Missions Extravaganza, Send the Light. And by the way, let me just stop and say this for a moment again to our church family. Thank you for last week. Thank you for our church family, your faithfulness to the services as your pastor. So encouraged to see your heart for missions. I had one uh, a member again talk to me this morning. I can't wait to visit one of those mission fields and others that talked to our missionaries and our hearts were stirred and, and uh, all that God did. But as your pastor, I appreciate your support of that entire event and being here. Hundreds of you Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and the kids in their chapels and all that took place. And so thank you for all that you did this past week. But last week during that, we sang a song that's, that's often sung at missions conferences, Send the Light. And in that song, that, that, that hymn, there is a, uh, a phrase, we have heard the Macedonian call today. And maybe you, we sang that last week and kind of, what is that talking about? Well, that, that phrase in that line comes right here from where we're going to start in Acts 16 when Paul heard the Macedonian call today. Acts in chapter number 16, the gospel arrives in Europe. For the very first time, the gospel moves into Europe. In this chapter, it has 40 verses. We studied the first five of them last week. For those that might be guests in our church this morning, we're walking through the book of Acts verse by verse, and uh, this is week number 45 or so, message number 45 in our study of the book of Acts. Acts is a history of the early church. It's a book of action. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Some say it's the acts of the apostles. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, and the gospel going forth in amazing ways 
The book of Acts covers about the first 30 years following Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension back into heaven. So that's where we're at in history is about those first 30 years right after Jesus had had his three-year earthly ministry here on earth. And so we see, uh, we studied last week the first five verses. The next 35 verses of Acts, Acts 16, 6 through 40, is really all, it all goes together. It tells a story all together. And we're probably going to be in this passage, these 35 verses, for the next four or five Sundays. We're going to be pulling different messages, different thoughts, different applications out of this passage. But I, I believe, I feel like we need to get a grasp of the whole story today. And so we are going to, most of my message today is just going to be us walking through, reading through this passage, and then explaining what's happening. At the end, I will give us some, what I believe are some encouraging applications that we can take with us today. But today is really the foundation for the next month of Sundays. That's what today is. It's the foundation for us to move into the next month of Sundays and to pull out some specific messages from this passage. And so today is a foundational Sunday, a more of a Bible study where we get our, the whole picture in our mind, and then we're going to be able to apply that. And so, um, so if you're visiting from out of town today, I apologize, you're going to have to extend your stay in Orange County for three or four more Sundays so that the foundation that we lay today, you really get the full, uh, the full picture of all of it. And uh, that wouldn't be a bad place to stay for three or four more Sundays if you're here from out of town. Orange County is not a bad spot. Acts 16, again, just by way of introduction to give us a little background, and, and I think we're aware of this from the last few weeks, but Acts 16, if we have that map, we'll throw it up there. Acts 16 is the, is, is the story of Paul's second missionary journey. The first one, he went with Paul and Barnabas. The second one, it began at Antioch, right there above Syria. It began at Antioch. The first five verses last week took us through Tarsus, Paul's hometown, into Derby and Lystra. And uh, anybody remember? It's Paul. It's not Paul and Barnabas on this trip. It starts with the letter S. It's Paul and a few of us. Good. Good job, class. Paul and Silas. And in Lystra, it starts with the letter T. They picked up a young man to go with them, and that was... Timothy. So we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're going on their second, on Paul's second missionary journey. It's Silas and Timothy's first. That is where we're at. We're here about two decades after Christ's death. Paul going out on a second missionary journey with Silas and Timothy. Let's pick it up in verse number six. If you didn't bring a copy of God's word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. We're going to cover the rest of this chapter together. And, and I think that you would get a lot more out of it if you follow along in scripture for yourself. I'd encourage you to go to Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And, and never feel badly if you're ever trying to find a book uh, in, in, that, that we're preaching from to go to the table of contents and find where that is. I just feel it would, you, you would get more out of the message today if you followed along and saw God's Word for yourself. So grab one of those few Bibles, or if you have an app on your phone or your device there, um, you can follow along there and, and, and see God's Word for yourself. Acts 16, beginning in verse number 6. If you're there, would you say amen this morning if you're there in Acts 16, 6. All right, we're there. Let's go. Let's, go. Let's start into God's Word. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Acts 16, verse 6, the Bible says, Now when they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Going back to that map, if we can, uh, you'll see uh, back on this map, they were that region of Galatia. They were coming through Lystra. You see their Iconium, Antioch. They, want, they wanted, in these next couple of, of verses, they wanted to go north. They wanted to go south. They wanted to, this, they wanted to stay on this continent and preach. The Bible says, 
and uh, verse 7, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So they wanted to preach. They wanted to go to the north and preach. They wanted to go to the south and preach, but God wouldn't let them. Verse number 8, and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. You see it there right on the coast, Troas there. And uh, that's where they end up there in verse number eight. Verse number nine, while they're in Troas, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Our missionary preached from this passage on Tuesday night at our banquet. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. We don't know who that man was. There are different Different uh, theologians love to, love to surmise on things the Bible doesn't make clear. They love to come up with educated guesses and sound educated. We don't know who that was. Some say it may have been Alexander the Great. Uh, who knows? We, we don't, but, but we know there was a vision, and Paul saw, and there was a man from Macedonia. Macedonia, you can see that on the far left. That, that, that was that region right across, and right across would be modern-day Greece. It was that region, Macedonia. That's where we get the phrase in that line. We have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light. Come show, tell us about Jesus. So in verse number 10, and after he had seen the vision immediately, by the way, I love Paul's spirit. When God speaks, Paul obeys. He doesn't wait. Immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis. And again, you can see the island uh, there that they got to and then across. And so they took a boat the first day. This journey only took them two days, 150 miles. God gave them what we would call God's speed. God gave them great, great speed with the winds. On the return journey, that same journey will take them five days because the wind was contrary. This was, they were flying. They were, they were moving along in their boat and they got across to another, to, to another continent, to Europe there. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, a colony of Rome. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So here's the picture. We're going we're gonna to get where we're going. But the gospel arriving in Europe. Paul and, and, Barnab uh, Paul and Silas, they start, they're going back to churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted. And they're strengthening the churches. And they said, hey, here's a city up here we want to go to that hasn't heard the gospel. And the Holy Spirit said, no. And we don't know exactly how God told them no, but God told them no. He wouldn't let them go. Well, here's one. Let's go down here. Because all of their ministry thus far had been in this region, in this area. Their, their previous journey had all been around here. Let's go around here. And the Holy Spirit said no. By the way, sometimes when God says no, we don't, we don't get excited and we push back. Don't we? we don't see that with Paul at all. Paul said, that's not where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to obey. That's not where I'm supposed to go. God, I'm going I'm to follow you. And then they get the vision and, and there's a, the, come to Macedonia and help us. Come tell us about Jesus. And they said, let's go. That's where God wants us. I have to imagine, I could be wrong, but I have to imagine based on what Paul has already seen and the thousands that have been saved, Paul, I have to imagine Paul is thinking, man, I don't know what's waiting for us over there, but it's got to be good. God has stopped us here and here where the gospel has been. Man, I, I bet that it's just going to be unbelievable the reception we're going to get. Maybe that's not what he thought, but that's what I would have thought if God sent me. Let's look at how it was, verse number 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the who church? They spake unto the who? The who? The women which resorted thither. Now, on Paul's other missionary journeys... Do you remember where Paul almost always goes right when he gets to a new town? 
He almost always goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue. He was a rabbi brought up under one of the most respected rabbis. He was a Jew of the Jew. He was also a Roman citizen, but he knew the law. And he was very respected by Jews. When Paul stood up to speak, they knew who Paul was. He had, he had persecuted the church in the name of Judaism. That Paul was a well-known, and so he would go to the synagogue. They get here to Philippi. They come in and go about 10 miles inland. They get to Philippi, and they don't go to the synagogue do you know why they didn't go to the synagogue? What we believe is, as you study it, there was no synagogue here in Philippi. Why wasn't there a synagogue? Well, you see, to have a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 men who would sponsor, if you will, that synagogue. 10 leaders, 10 Jewish men that would say, these are the men that would form it. This city had nothing to do with God. There weren't even 10 men that would form a synagogue. And so the ladies, if there was no synagogue, these were ladies that, that they, they wanted to know God. They were either Jews or they were interested in Judaism. And uh, probably most of them not Jews, but they were interested. In, they knew there was something out there and they were trying to worship God, much like Cornelius, the Roman centurion soldier, who said he worshiped God. He, was, he knew there was something about God, Jehovah, but he was, he was seeking well, that's who these ladies were. They're out there praying, and they're praying by the river because there is no man to lead them. There is no religious, there's no synagogue. It's a very secular area. These people aren't interested in the things of God. And it said, prayer was wont to me. We sat down and spake unto the women, verse number 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple. Purple was, uh, they would get that dye either from a root or from a, a, a certain uh, shell from a seashell or a sea snail. And it was what the, the royalty would wear because it was very rare to get that dye. If you had purple clothes on when you walked around, anybody wearing purple in here today? I see some purple back there. And if you were wearing purple, if you were living back then, people would have looked at you and said, that was like, you know, Louis Vuitton or Coach or whatever that was. That was, purple was what you wore to, uh, to, go, to go walk around Fashion Island, I guess, in that day, right? It was if you were very wealthy, if you were rich, you wore purple. Well, Lydia, a seller of purple, and we see later that the church meets in her house, she was probably a wealthy lady, a very successful lady. She was a seller of purple. She dealt with, with very uh, important and, and wealthy people. A seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. By the way, that's one of the cities of the seven churches in Revelation. She worshiped God and she heard us. She heard Paul whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So what we see here is the first convert in Europe. I don't want to get ahead of myself from the end of the message with a few applications, but this was not, I don't believe, what Paul expected. In that culture, ladies were very low on the social status. On the, it, in, they, it was all about, in fact, they would pray, the Jews would pray, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was the mindset, the mentality. They were a lower class. And so Paul gets on a boat and goes to this new continent. And it was a man that said, come help us. But who was it that was the first one with an open heart to receive the gospel of Jesus? It was a lady. 
And this isn't, I don't think, how Paul expected it, and this isn't how Paul, but Paul just went and preached the gospel. And this lady, Lydia, she gets saved. Now, she was, she was praying to God. She was interested in the things of God. She was wanting to know more about Judaism, but she did not yet know the gospel of Christ. And Paul comes and teaches, and the Bible says, the Lord opened her heart. By the way, a reminder, you can be religious and on your way to hell. You can be religious and pray to God and not be going to heaven when you die. It's not about prayers that we say. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Chris got baptized this morning. He came to our church for a month or two at least before he made that decision to place his faith in Christ. Had he died in that time and, and without accepting Christ as his personal Savior, according to Scripture, he would have gone to hell. It's not the church that saves you. It's not the offering plate that saves you. It's Jesus Christ. This lady was religious, but she didn't know Jesus. But on this day, her heart was opened. And verse 16, and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So we have a demon-possessed young lady. And she had her masters, people that, that she, she was a moneymaker because she would go and she would tell fortunes. And she was a psychic. She could tell you what was happening. And, and she, she was in touch with the, the, the spiritual world, if you will. And so they loved it. They, everywhere they went, this lady was, was, if you will, I don't mean it, a cash cow. I mean, she was bringing money in. Notice what it says. The same followed Paul and, and us and cried saying, these men are the servants of the most high God which show unto us the way of salvation. Isn't that interesting? That sounds like a good thing for a lady to say. Paul and Silas, they're servants of the most high God. They're showing us the right way to salvation. By the way, the Bible says the devils believe and tremble. The devils know, Satan knows who is the savior of the world. He knows the truth and that's why he perverts the truth. And that demon inside of her was saying good things. Notice what happens, verse 18. And this did she many days. Paul kind of put up for, with it for a while. But Paul being grieved, that in the Greek, that word carries the idea of annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Again, I don't want to get too bogged down with my, my, my explanations, but there is no match for the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus has power over all evil spirits. And Paul says, now this is interesting because you might say, why would Paul rebuke the spirit out of her when all we're told that she was saying for many days was, these people are preaching truth? Well, here's the danger. If they follow Paul and Silas around, these people are preaching truth. These people are preaching truth. And Paul and Silas kind of give credence and credibility to her by letting her stick around and, and promote them. What happens then when that spirit inside of her starts saying something that is not truth? Now people are going to believe her. Well, those she was with Paul and Silas. She knew the truth. And Satan loves to use truth. You look at almost any religion in the world, it has a good bit of truth. It, 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 they'll, they'll, they'll believe things that we would believe. They'll believe things that the Bible would teach. You look at almost any religion. Now, there are some that are not, but most religions, they have aspects of truth, but then Satan perverts it in a key area and says, well, Jesus isn't really the son of God. He's just a prophet. Well, that's everything. If Christ be not risen, we are yet in our sins. Our faith is vain. Well, I don't, he's not the son of God. He's just a good man that told some good stories. And, 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 and those, Satan loves to take pieces of truth and pervert it with some error and get us completely off track. So Paul rebukes this. Well, what's the response of her masters? Verse number 19. 
And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they didn't care about this girl. They didn't care about the people that, that, that they were taking money from. All they cared about was their own pocketbook. When her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace under the rulers, notice this, and brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. First, we have a, a religious attack. These guys are bringing the wrong stuff in here. And, the, and, and then we see also not only a religious attack, but a racial attack. They teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. That there was, there was a racial uh, attack to them and there was a religious attack here to Paul and Silas. They're messing up our area. They didn't care about what Paul and Silas were teaching. They were just mad that they just lost their money. That's all they cared about. That's all they cared about. And then notice what, and by the way, interesting thing is Paul was a Roman citizen. He was, he was one of them. And we're going to find that out later in the passage, but they're saying they're messing us up. Verse 22, and the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. We read that, and it's just a line, they received many stripes. What's that mean? We just kind of pass over it. What that is, that's a scourging. That's what they did to Jesus before he died, and he fell beneath the weight of the cross. Many men would die under a scourging. It would tear your flesh open. It would, it would expose organs. It, would, it was some of the worst pain you can imagine. They had beaten them with many stripes. And then they came to the jailer and said, make sure they don't get out. He, 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 was, he was very worried about that. It was a very important charge because for a jailer, if you allowed a prisoner to escape, you would face the punishment that prisoner was going to face. If that prisoner was going to face the death penalty and you allowed him to escape, you're going to die. So what did he do? He put him in the inner prison and he put them in stocks. So we have Paul and Silas for doing nothing more than preaching Jesus, beaten, bloodied, bruised, battered. They're, 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 they're hurting all because they had obeyed God to go over to Macedonia and preach Jesus. All because after a few days, they told this spirit, get out of her. We're not going to let you hang around this truth anymore. You're not going to deceive anybody. And because they had lost their money, Paul and that doesn't sound like the way it's supposed to work. That doesn't sound like the bestseller of, of the celebrity pastors in America that say this is what happens when you follow God. Be careful about the prosperity gospel that we love to preach in our world today. Oh, God is a God of wonderful blessing, but sometimes following God is painful. Sometimes following God brings tears and it brings hurt. Don't buy into the lie that, that if I follow God, my life gets easier. And if something went wrong, then God must have forgotten me. Oh, no. And what was their response? This is beautiful. If you have your Bibles, did you read Acts 16, verse 25 aloud with me? Acts 16, verse 25. Ready? Begin. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. I'm not going to spend too much time there because that's one of the messages we're going to preach in the next month from this part of the passage. But may I say, what a response. When they were beaten for preaching Christ, their response was prayer and singing. Rejoicing, God, you're still good. As the girl sang, all along, your hand has been guiding me. That, that's wonderful to sing today. What about when you're in jail? 
shaping my life to be a beautiful song. We don't know the songs they sang, but it were so, they were songs of, of rejoicing and of praise to God. They prayed at midnight, and, and probably because they couldn't sleep. They're in this dark dungeon in great pain. And what do they do? And notice that little phrase, and the prisoners heard them. By the way, when you stay faithful to God in the midst of deep trials, it always impacts people around you. Those around you see it, and it's a testimony of God's grace and strength. The prisoners heard them. Verse 26, when God heard them too, look at the verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. You see, that seems like a weird thing for the prisoner. What did I tell you? If they found out that he let the prisoners out, he's going to die. So he said, I'm not, I'm not going to get beaten and I'm not going to go through all of that. I'm, I'm done. He's about to fall on his own sword. And Paul and Silas, in the midst of their trials, they didn't stop caring about other people. Look at verse 20, 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we're all here. Stop. No, 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 no. Nobody left. Nobody left. Don't kill yourself. Don't do that. That's what Paul says. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? There's something different about your life. There's something different about your God. I heard you praying and I heard you singing and now all of this, and you could have run away and protected yourself, but you stayed here and you cared for me in the midst of your trial. You weren't worried about protecting yourself. You were worried about ministering to me. There's something different about you. What must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to be more like you? I want the God that you have. I want the strength that you have. I want the Savior that you have. Would you read verse 31 aloud together? Here's the gospel in one verse. Verse 31, ready, begin. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. By the way, some people try to say, well, that means if I don't believe in household salvation, I don't think anyone here does, but well, if the dad gets saved and the rest of the family is saved because of that, no, if you believe, you'll get saved, and if your house believes, they'll get saved, and we're going to see in a minute that his house is going to believe. His family is going to hear the gospel. By the way, when a mom or a dad gets saved, often the gospel does come to their house, and it does come to, and it changes their entire family. One, uh, one man that trained army chaplains, I was reading the story, and he would train and he would say, all right, you've got, you've got uh, either 30 seconds or three minutes. I forget right now. Somebody's dying on the battlefield and they, they, they want to know, what must I do to be saved? What do you tell them? And he said, if any of them would start getting into all of these long conversations, and, and there's a place for answering questions and defending faith and all of that. But if they get into all of that, he would say, nope, you, that guy just died and went to hell. He's without Christ. You've gotta, you need to be able, and here is a man that is literally close to killing himself. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And what does Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, how do I get to heaven? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now there's a whole lot of theology that underpins that statement. There's a whole lot of things that Jesus did, his sinless life and his vicarious death and his, his bodily resurrection and his, his blood atonement. There's a whole lot of things there, but you can spend your whole life learning scripture, but what you need to know, that faith as a child, if you're not sure if you were to die today that you spend eternity in heaven, here's what you need to know. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. 
Believe that God loved you so much that he sent his son to walk this earth, a sinless life, to die in your place, to shed his precious blood, to pay for your sins. He was buried, but he conquered death so that one day you and I can conquer death. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Look verse number 32. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. Very likely the, the jailer's house was, was connected right there to the prison. So they have gone out into the courtyard. And what do I need to be, do to be saved? And he brings them in and he wakes up his family. Remember, it's midnight. At this point, it might be one or two in the morning. They're all up in the, in the middle of the night. you got to hear this news. This can change your life. And he preaches to his family. He preaches to his house, his relatives that are there. And, and by the way, salvation always produces fruit in us. This man that had bound him with stalks is now rinsing their wounds. He's now cleaning up Paul and Silas. And we don't know, but he may have been baptized in the very water that he had cleaned up where they had been bleeding where they had been, their, their wounds that had been dirty. And he says, they were baptized, verse 34. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. His life was different. His home was different. His family was different. Again, church, may I tell you, Jesus can change your life, your marriage, your family. My family is forever different because somebody told me, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It can change, Jesus changes everything. And so here we are in the middle of the night, here in the Philippian jailer's house, and they're eating. They're eating food in the middle of the night. They're having a meal. And then we'll continue. Let's finish it up. Verse number 35, and when it was day, morning came, the magistrates sent the sergeant saying, let those men go. Okay, we've made, a, made enough of an example of them. Let them go. They really didn't do anything wrong. We just gave in to the crowd. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. All right, guys, you got pardon. You got, you got, uh, you got your pardon from, uh, you're done. Go in peace. What does Paul say? But Paul said unto them, uh-uh, not so fast. They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily or privately? <laughs> no, that's not how it's going to go down today, boys. But let them come themselves and fetch us out. Uh-uh. Paul said, no, 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 no. Here's, and here's why. I don't believe this is Paul being prideful. No, uh, you did me wrong. You got to do me right. Had they left secretly, the believers, those new Christians, that little church that was meeting in Lydia's house, they would have been under that, that pressure and, and that um, the image, if you will, the, 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 the impression of all of those around them that what they had done was somehow criminal, was wrong, and you shouldn't join with that group of believers. You could end up getting thrown into prison. Paul, the, the magistrates, the leaders, they knew they had done something wrong. They had, they had beaten them and thrown them in jail without a trial, and they were Roman citizens. They had rights, just like American citizens have rights. You're in another country, and, and, and you say to them, uh, you know, take me to the embassy, or I needed to talk to what, you have, to, you have the right to be taken there. American citizens have certain rights, and they're supposed to be due process that we're not supposed to be able to be punished in certain ways. Well, the same thing for Romans here. And Paul said, no, 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 no. We, we were uncondemned. We didn't have a trial, and you put us in prison. You beat us, and we're Roman citizens. 
This is not how it's going to go down. You tell them to come and to take us out. We want everybody to see that, that they, have, they have said they made a mistake. We were not in the wrong because we don't want the Christians that are staying here in Philippi to live under that shadow of the fact that maybe they could be beaten and thrown into jail for doing nothing wrong. So now it says in verse number Verse number 38, and the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates. They came back, hey guys, we got a problem. Those prisoners didn't take our plea deal. They didn't take our offer. They're still sitting there and they said, they're not leaving until you come down and walk them out. And it says, uh, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. They looked around and said, hey boys, we messed this one up. And they came, verse 39, and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. They didn't leave under the guise of night. They didn't leave like criminals running from the law. The magistrates walked them out of the prison. They said, they said, we're going to stop by Lydia. We're going to see the church, the brethren, that, that new church that just got planted here. He's going to write a book we call Philippians to the believers here in this city. He'll write that from another prison cell. And by the way, this church, that letter is really one of the only letters where Paul really doesn't correct anything. All Paul does is say, thank you, you're an amazing church. Well, that's what started right here. It's a big thank you letter from prison is what Philippians is. And this is what started here. And Paul stops in at Lydia's house and all the brethren are there, they're scared. Man, we listened to this guy by the river, our lives got changed. And then next thing we know, he's, he's in jail, he's getting scourged, he's getting beaten. Is this what it means to follow Jesus? And sometimes it does. But is this what, 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 what's waiting for all of us? And he came in and he comforted them. And then he departed. And we see here this story, the gospel arriving in Europe. That is the bulk of the message this morning. I told you I just wanted to walk us through the story. We're going to pull out four or five messages from that story in the coming months. But for us to take a few thoughts with us this morning, I'd like to close with this. In this chapter, the gospel comes to Europe and it would continue to expand westward until it was brought to America several centuries ago. What did God use to bring the gospel to Europe? I want to give us a few thoughts because I think they can encourage us sometimes when we don't understand what God is doing and how he's working in our lives. Number one, what did God use to bring the gospel to Europe? Number one, he used closed doors. Closed doors. They wanted to go north. They wanted to go south. God sent them west. None of us like closed doors, do we? But sometimes it's the closed doors that God uses to lead us to the open door he wants us to walk through. God sometimes stops us in our tracks and he redirects us and he rearranges our plans in order to fulfill his plans. And I want to remind you this Sunday morning, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways and his thoughts are better and higher than our thoughts and our ways. And, and you could say, well, what would have been wrong if they went and preached the gospel in Asia, if they went south? What would have been wrong with that? There's no wrong place to preach the gospel. I agree with you, but that wasn't where God wanted them to preach the gospel. God wanted them to take the gospel west over into Europe. He, he used closed doors to open the door that he desired them to walk through. David Livingston, the famous uh, missionary in Africa, Livingston Falls in Africa is named after him. He wanted to go to China and God closed that door and sent him to Africa. William Carey, the, one of the fathers of modern missions, he wanted to go to Polynesia, but God sent him to India. 
Adoniram Judson went to India first before God redirected him to Burma. Sometimes the way that God guides us to an open door is through closed doors. Well, I don't understand why God would allow that in my life and why, why did he allow that and why didn't that work out? I don't understand why we can't preach there. I'm trying to do what's right. Why didn't that work out here? Is God redirecting us? Just if he is, trust him and move forward as he directs. I often pray in my life, especially if I'm praying about an open door or a closed door or whatever it might be, and I'll pray, God, give me the faith to walk through an open door. Sometimes open doors are scary, aren't they? Man, that's, that's new. That's different. We got to go to a new continent. We got to get on a boat. I don't know what's over there. I've never been over there. Open doors can be scary. God, give me the faith to walk through an open door. Help me trust you enough that if you've opened this door, but God, give me the wisdom not to kick down a door that's closed. Sometimes God closes the door and we don't, we, we don't take no for an answer. And we kick that door and we knock on that door. God, I'm going through this door no matter what you say. And God, would you give me the wisdom not to kick down a door that you've closed? And you say, well, Pastor Ryan, that sounds great, but how do you know if God's opening a door, closing a door? We see a little bit from this passage and you can see in other places in scripture, generally God uses, and I've seen in my own life, God uses three things to confirm open and closed doors. Number one, he uses his word. You see in verse, uh, verse number, uh, let's see here, he says in verse number 10, the Lord has called us for to preach the gospel unto them. There was that vision, the Lord has called us. And if, if your open door, I know that God wants me to do this. If it contradicts scripture, God doesn't want you to do that. I've heard people say in, their, in, in marriage situations and other situations and in family situations and careers, I know God is calling me to do this. I know God has, has brought this together. I know God has opened this door for me. And it directly violates principles and commands in Scripture. That's not an open door from God. That's an open door from your flesh. God's will never contradicts God's word. How do we know if God's opening a door? Not only his word, he uses his spirit. Did you see it in verse number six and seven? They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost. The spirit suffered them not. God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us. And then thirdly, I would say God uses godly counsel in our lives. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. They have this vision in verse nine. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There was some godly counsel, if you will, there from God. And in verse 10, it says, after we had seen the vision, immediately we... That's the first time Luke, the writer of Acts, uses we. We don't know how or where, but somewhere there, Luke joined them. I have to believe that God used Luke to confirm this is where we're supposed to go right now. In your life, if you're scared of asking for godly counsel from people that you know have your best interests at heart, it's probably a good sign you know in your heart of hearts that's probably not the direction I should go. If you're scared of asking teens, your parents, what do you think about this friend or that dating relationship? Or what do you think about this college plan? Or what do you think about my career choice here? Well, if you're scared to seek from, from godly parents or from a pastor or from, from a, an, an aged Christian in your life, if you're making a major decision in your life and you're scared to... Now, I don't believe in, in the fact that the pastor is the dictator of your life and, and you must not make a decision without his blessing. I'm not a pope. I'm not a priest. But I believe that God does... I've never made major, major decisions in my life without going to scripture, without going to prayer and asking God to guide me and without going to godly counsel to say, do I have a blind spot? Is there something I'm missing here? What do you think? Here's, what I, here's where I think the Lord is leading. What do you see? In our lives, and so in our lives, sometimes God uses closed doors 
to, to do mighty things, he used closed doors to bring the, the gospel to Europe. Number two, what did he use? He used unexpected opportunities. Unexpected. What do I mean by that? When they got there, the audience was a few women. That was unexpected. The first convert in Europe was a woman? That's unexpected. Are you sure? Silas might have said, Paul, you sure we got the right map? This isn't what you, you and Barnabas told us happened at all the other cities. This is not what, what your missionary journey was supposed to look like. You're preaching to a few women by the riverside? Like that, That's not how you reach a whole city. That's not how you plant a church. You go preach to a few women by a riverside. Like, we need to get the leaders on board. We, the, the men of this city aren't going to listen to these women. We need, to, we need to reach some of the influential people here. Paul, is this, are you sure this is what it is? And, and again, I already mentioned that they would view women and were often disrespected. But in Jesus' earthly ministry and throughout Paul's ministry, we see God make, making much of women in his work and treating them with a love and respect that had been far too uncommon in those days. The rabbis had a saying, it is better that the words of the law be burned than delivered to a woman. And yet, who did God choose to deliver the words of the law, the gospel, if you will, the truth to in Philippi, a woman? That's unexpected. So the first convert is a wealthy and successful woman. Again, doesn't seem like the way to start a gospel movement that would touch multiple continents over time, that would eventually lead to all of us raising our hands. We received the gospel in the Western Hemisphere. Do you know how it got to the Western Hemisphere? Acts 16. We received it because Paul took some unexpected opportunities. That God's will and his plans and his leading is probably not going to look exactly like you have imagined in your head. Everywhere else they had gone, they had this great audience to preach in the synagogues. Not a man was interested in this city. Don't despise the day of small things. Preaching to a few women by a, the river would lead to billions hearing Christ over time. Start with the opportunities that you have in your life. Number three, how, what did God use to bring the gospel to Europe? He used satanic opposition. The demon-possessed woman and her masters. Even after they, she had been helped, the demon was gone from her. They didn't care because their business had been hurt. And then lastly, what did they use to bring the gospel to Europe? Painful persecution. Here's the paradox. Here's the paradox in this chapter and often in the Christian life. Their pain, I'm sorry, the gospel spread as their troubles increased. We often think the better things go, the better things go, the better things are. And often throughout Acts, spiritually speaking, do you know when the better things went? The worse the circumstances were. You say, I don't see how God could use, they're getting thrown into jail, they can't preach in, in the whole city, people aren't going to hear them. Well, what happened in jail as they're enduring painful persecution? They're there at midnight, bleeding, bloody, scabs, maybe some broken ribs, they've got whatever it is, all of this stuff, they're sitting there, and what did they do at midnight? They sang and they prayed. And what does the Bible say? And the prisoners heard them. You know who else heard them? The jailer heard them. Who is the jailer? He has direct access to the sergeants and to the magistrates. Guess who heard all about the glory of God and the strength of God and the power of God because of their painful persecution? You know who are all about it? The ones that we would all want to reach, but we don't want to go through the pain to reach them. 
The, the, these men, those men were never, those criminals are never going to go down by the river to pray with those, those religious ladies. They would have never heard a, a gospel message down by the river, but they heard, they saw the gospel in action in Paul and Silas's life. Why? Because of painful persecution. More people hearing the gospel. The testimony is more powerful as they go through pain. Heads of households are now getting saved. Their families are getting saved. The jailer is saved and, and baptized, as is his family. All the other pris prisoners are witnessing it. So much of Acts is a reminder that God does great things in and through his people people in the midst of their great trouble. He works in mighty ways when his children are facing serious distress. He shows his strength through our weakness. Acts is also a great reminder, church family, that God is always faithful. No matter where you find yourself, he hears your prayers. He receives your praise. He can give you strength. He can help you no matter where you find yourself. God is always faithful. He never fails his children. He is always there. And when, when they look back, when, when almost always when God's children look back, the things that had caused at one time so much despair and discouragement are actually some of the most amazing moments of their lives and Christian journey. I don't know about you, but when I look back at my life, sometimes the things that I look back at that were the hardest valleys, I look back and say, God, that was the most beneficial time. It's where you drew me closer to you. It's where my faith was strengthened. It's where I saw the love of Christ through other people in my life. But that never feels that way in the moment. But that church family, that is where faith comes in. Because faith says, I believe that God can use this for his good. I believe that Romans 8.28 is true. And we know that all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. We know that God can work all of this together for his good. By the way, do you think, I don't know, I could be wrong, maybe they did. But do you think Paul and Silas and Timothy thought it was good when they were getting beaten? Do you think they were excited and posting a selfie if they could have back then? Well, another great day in the ministry. That's not how it felt at that time. You know how it felt? It felt like, has God forgotten me? What's going on in my life? When is this going to end? Why? Why? I just tried to preach Jesus. Why did this come? But God uses painful times in our lives to, to shape and mold us and to reach other people. Trust him when he closes a door. Trust him when you are lied about. They had been lied about. Trust him when people fail you. Trust him when plans change and things don't go like you expected. Trust him when obedience leads to pain, when preaching leads to persecution. And if we will, what we see in Acts is that when we trust him in those days, we see him work in ways we never could have imagined. We get the benefit of hindsight in reading Acts 16. We can look and see how God used it all for his glory. We know when the stripes are going on their backs, hey, hey, guys, sing in the prison. God's got a great surprise for you. He's going to send an earthquake. It's going to be awesome. I'm just going to tell you, don't get upset. Don't get bitter. Sing and pray. Play. I'm telling you, this story is awesome at the end. It's not how it felt then. We get hindsight. When you're living Acts 16, you don't get hindsight. By the way, a year, five, 10, 50 from now, your children and grandchildren and those, your loved ones around you, they might have hindsight to see how God carried you through your deepest, darkest moments. But you don't get it today. You know what we get to try to do? Trust him. Pray when we don't understand. Sing when we have no song. And if we will, we see, Acts shows us, we see God work in amazing, amazing ways.
So we must trust him when we can't trace him, follow him when we can't understand what he's doing, and obey him when everything inside of us may tell us to do the opposite. And church family, keep faithfully serving him through it all, seeking to see the work of God move forward in and through our lives in mighty ways. So what did God use to bring the gospel to Europe, which ended up bringing it to us? God used closed doors. That's not what I want. I want to know the next 50 years. Tell me every step. Nope, I've got to close that door, redirect. You know what God used? Unexpected opportunities. I thought it was going to look like this. I'm 30 now. I thought my life was going to look like that. And I'm 40 and I'm 50 and I'm 16. This isn't what I expected. I didn't expect to come to Philippi and preach to a few ladies sitting by a river. But God uses unexpected opportunities to move us forward for his glory, to move his cause forward. You know what God sometimes uses? There's opposition in our lives. Those that attack, and all we did was preach, and they attack, and there, there can be pain. He used painful persecution, but you know what he did through all of it? The gospel began to multiply in ways it had never before. Lives were changed that had never known of Christ. But it's because there were some disciples that were willing to follow God in the dark, painful times. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.